0: Hi, my name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, the story podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day six. I'm going to be reading from the NIV version of the Bible, Genesis 10 through 11, Psalms 2. And mind you, I'm going to do my best on the Old Testament names, but again, I am not an Old Testament scholar. So here we go. Genesis 10. This is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. The sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tyrus. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Ripheth, and Togmarmah. The sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, Kittites, and Rodonites. From these, the maritime people spread out into their territories by their clans, with their nations, each with its own language. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Rama, and Septica. The sons of Ramah, Sheba, and Dedan. Cush was the father of Nimrod, who became a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, Like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Uruk, Hakkad, Kalani, and Shinar. From that land we went to Assyria, where he built Nineveh, Rebhoth, Ur, Kala, Rezin, which is between Nineveh and Kala, which is the greatest city. Egypt was the father. Of the Ladites, Anamites, Lahabites, Naphtahites, Pathrasites, Caslahites, from whom the Philistines came, and Caftrites. Canaan was the father of Sidon, his firstborn, and of the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, Gigarashites, Hivatites, Arkaraites, Sinites, Arvaridites, Nemorites, and Hamathites. Later, the Canaanite clan scattered, and the border of Canaan reached from Sidon towards Gerar, as far as Gaza, and then towards Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim, as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham, by their clans and languages, in their territories and nations. Sons were also born to Shem, whose older brother was Japheth. Shem was the ancestor of all the sons of Eber. The sons of Shem, Elam, Ashur, Arfarakat, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hol, Gathar, and Meshach. Arphaxad was the father of Shalah, and Shalah the father of Eber. Two sons were born to Eber. One was named Peleg, because in his time the earth was divided. His brother was named Jaktan. Joktan was the father of Almadad, Shalaf, Hazaramuth, Zerah, Hadaram, Uzzel, Dikla, Obal, Ibamel, Sheba, Ofer, Havilah, and Jabab. All these were sons of Joktan. The region where they lived stretched from Mesha toward Sephar, an eastern hill country. These are the sons of Shem by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. These are the clans of Noah's sons, according to their lines of descent within the nation. From these, the nation spread out over the earth after the flood. Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, This is the account of Shem's family line. Two years ago, the flood, when Shem was a hundred years old, he became the father of Arafakhsad. And after he became the father of Arafakhsad, Shem lived five hundred years and had other sons and daughters. When Arafakhsad had lived thirty five years, he became the father of Shelah. And after he became the father of Shelah, Arafakhsad lived four hundred and three years and had other sons and daughters when Sheila had lived 30 years he became the father of Eber and after he became the father of Eber Sheila lived 403 years and had other sons and daughters when Eber had lived 34 years he became the father of Peleg and after he became the father of Peleg Eber lived 430 years and had other sons and daughters when Peleg had lived 30 years he became the father of Rihea, and after he became the father of Ria, Peleg lived 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Ria had lived 32 years, he became the father of Sarug. And after he became the father of Sarug, Ria lived 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Sarug had lived 30 years, he became the father of Nayar. And after he became the father of Nayar, Sarug lived 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nayar had lived 29 years, he became the father of Terah. And after he became the father of Terah, Naor lived 119 years and had other sons and daughters. After Terah had lived 70 years, he became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Noah, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Noah both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Shaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. Psalms 2. Why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain? The king of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have instilled my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, your ruler of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. All right. So as I told you, um, some of those names are not going to be said absolutely correctly. So I I hope we can have grace through that. But this is the last two chapters um, in the early world period, Genesis 10 and 11, before we meet, which we do towards the end there, Abram and Sarai, who will become Abraham and Sarah later in the story. The last two chapters of the early world period and the descendants of Japheth. So one of the reasons we speak out or we read all of those names and the genealogy is that these are not, we're not only being introduced to God's people but we're being introduced to God's rescue plan because we know um, later through these descendants Jesus himself comes right so that's one of the reasons the genealogies are actually very important Nimrod was the first on Earth to be a mighty man to build a human kingdom. This is what's distinct here, right? So Babel, um, and Father Mike Schmidt says Babel. So again, not exactly sure, but I grew up learning it Babel. Uh, Babel. So that's what we're gonna stick with. Babel is what became and would come to be known as Babylon, which is the first to become. Nimrod is the first to become a tyrant and pursue control. Almost like a conquering hero, but what was in his heart was was this more ruthless ambition, not for God's purpose, but for power itself. So not to use his God-given power or portion of authority for God's purpose. Let me qualify, ambition isn't the problem. Nimrod and the culture he created wanted to make a name for themselves, themselves, to glorify themselves, not to make something great or excellent for the Lord. To want to be known and make a name for ourselves, to desire this over and before God, will lead to destruction. That's what we're learning in this story. One chapter from now, when God speaks to Abram, I will make you a great name, God wants to bless him, us, with profit and outcome. Remember that from Genesis 1. But our purpose, what we were made for, is to work to reflect God's image and to bear his name brand in the world. But God controls the outcome. We put him first. We work on the purpose and we trust and we know God wants to bless us. God wants to give us a name. But we don't pursue the prophet and we don't pursue making the name for ourselves or we dislocate our heart and behavior from what we were born to do and what we were made for and the only way to live in the redeemed kingdom and to flourish. And I just want to qualify because I'm a marketing professor. Sometimes we have this discussion in class. Uh, Nike's Just Do It uh, brand message, right? Really cool. It inspires perseverance and drive. And again, on its own, it's kind of like the word ambition. On its own. It's not the problem. The problem is when we take the just do it message and we orient it around the I and around ourselves and we make ourselves the determiner of what we're gonna do, when we're gonna do it, how long we're gonna do it, when we're gonna quit, if we're gonna quit, and it's all centered around I. When perseverance is a a godly characteristic, just like ambition, but we submit ourselves for God's timing and God's purpose and direction, and he did, did give us a sound heart and mind um, to pursue him. And as we understand God's word, this relationship between what we're called to do and what we're put on and how the Holy Spirit drives our heart, it, it is always in alignment with God's word. And so that's why it's a great to stay in that tethered big story is really important. So to go before the Lord is to be in opposition of the Lord. So because, again, he goes before, around, and with us. It requires this posture of genuflection. And if anybody loves um, Marvel movies or Star Wars, you'll understand this posture of genuflection. Or, or anything from the from, from the ancient tale of knights, right? It's where one knee is bowed and the other one is bent at a 90 degree angle. So you're both ready to stand up and go and you're also submitted in a posture of humility before the king, right? In yoga, they call this, it's slightly a different posture, but they call it humble warrior. It's this, this juxtaposition, this contrast between being submitted to and ready to go to be strong. Jordan Peterson says, be perceived as dangerous, yet yield your power to God and his will and use your power to serve the Lord. Use your ambition for his call, right? Dr. John Walton does an interview on seed, uh, Seedbed, a 21st century media source for the people of God. I link the interview in the episode description below. In this interview, Dr. John Walton describes the reason for the Tower of Babel and why God was displeased with this project in a similar yet different way from Father Mike Schmitz. Dr. John Walton suggests that it be read in an ancient context, kind of like traveling to a foreign country. It's understanding that language in context to reduce the likelihood of misunderstanding misrepresenting the tower of babel was in all probability an ancient ziggurat which is a large stepped structure typically built next to temples they were not made for people but for gods to come down from heaven note that this is exactly what god does in genesis 11 5 and supply the needs of the people so the point is this this ziggurat is this architecture where the where god can come down to the people to supply their needs but the builders tried to establish the sacred space that they lost in the Garden of Eden. They wanted God for their own purposes. What follows in Genesis 12, which we'll get to next through the story of Abram, is God initiating his own plan for reestablishing sacred space. So what's interesting is that both Dr. John Walton and Father Mike Schmitz conclude similarly that the people, like in Genesis 3, were choosing to do something their own way, tree of knowledge to do something and do it in a way that was not putting God and what God called us to do first it's a distortion of our heart and behavior from our purpose in him and it leads to dislocation destruction and disaster tomorrow we'll hear hear God's corrective and way forward through this